0: In our uh, in in the first hymn of the service, there was a line there that, uh, to be honest, kind of cracks me up because it, it talks about the uh, the consoling words of John the Baptist. Which ones? Uh, you brood of vipers, who warned you from the uh, to flee from the wrath to come? The axe is laid at the root of the tree. Uh, his winnowing fork is in his hands, and he'll burn the chaff with unquenching fire. Just warm and fuzzy all over. Um, Merry Christmas. <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> John, uh, John hits the scene in a very specific context. And there isn't actually a lot that we know about John, uh, because obviously he's not the main character, but we can kind of figure out a few things. Uh, He's mentioned in uh, the writings of Josephus, a first-century Jewish writer and historian, Um, and you get the impression that he was actually very popular among the people. Uh, And even Josephus mentions that there was some suggestion during John the Baptist's career, that he might have actually been the Messiah, and that bears out in the Gospels because in the in, not in Matthew, which we heard read, um, but in one of the others, I can't remember which one, people were starting to wonder, and then John the Baptist actually says, "No, but he is coming, and I'm not even worthy to like basically tie his sandals. I'm not even worthy to be his slave." We learned some other kind of colorful details about John. He he's a, he's a, seems like an interesting guy. He also seems like he would not be very much fun at parties. Uh, but he lives out in the wilderness. He wears camel's hair. I don't know anything about camels other than that they can be mean and spit. I'm willing to bet that their hair is not attractive and comfortable to wear. Uh, he has a leather belt. I have that in common with him. So that's cool. Uh, his diet consists of locusts and honey. Now that is a rabbit hole because it, it raises a bunch of questions about how literal are they being. Because as it turns out, uh, the, the word locust can either refer to various species of grasshopper uh, or it can refer to the carob tree or these beans that come from carob pods and evidently it was common to use those beans, grind them up, and use honey and make like a kind of a sweet pancake kind of thing. And not that I know much about nutrition, but apparently you could subsist off of them. Um, I don't know. I mean, be a little skeptical if, if anyone says it was certainly one over the other, because we just don't know. Although because I use my time wisely, I did learn that there are four kinds of grasshoppers that are considered kosher. (laughs) So, do what you will with that. Um, I'm gonna stick to burger. But But he's weird. And I think he's supposed to be weird. He was what's called a Nazirite, which is somebody who takes a very specific vow and abstains from certain things. uh, But he was a Nazirite from birth. There were plenty of Nazirites um, who would take a vow. They would separate themselves from society in various ways. And then when that time is up, they would re-enter. Samson, or Samson, uh, John seems to have done that from birth. Uh, that was, by the way, not a Freudian slip. Samson seems to be the only other one. Um, so so he comes in and he starts dipping people in water. Uh, sometimes we'll call John the immerser. Uh, that... that is a little more accurate to some of the language used to describe him. Lutherans like to call him, like, the baptizer or the immerser because we don't want people to think John was Baptist. And, (laughs) yeah, it's a slow-burning joke. Um, But when I went to Baylor University, which is the largest Baptist university in the world, they didn't seem to mind. So, whatever. (laughs) Okay. Okay. This is not a stand-up routine, um, <laughs> but I just feel a lot of energy today. So, um, so that, that, that first raises a question, like, why? I mean, when, whenever somebody starts engaging in an, into, in an action in the Bible, and that action doesn't really easily translate to something that we would do today, the first question you should ask is, what sense would that have made back then. Now, first off, uh, the, just the washing, ritual washing uh, was called a mikvah. Uh, and, and if you were a not just first century Jewish person, but a modern Jewish person, uh, that could very well be part of your life. You would undergo mikvah if you uh, were ritually unclean for various reasons. And uh, it if you were, that doesn't necessarily mean you were sinful. Uh, it just sort of happens from time to time. You would undergo mikvah and a few other things to become clean again. Again, that's it's just part of your life. Now, interestingly enough, there was a, a, a Jewish sect around the time of John and Jesus that really, really honed in on the practice of immersing. In fact, you would do it three times a day. And not only that, but in order to enter their ranks, you would have to, after a long period of application and testing and discernment, you would then undergo this process of a mikveh or, or ritual washing. Uh, this group was called the Essenes. And they were, they're most likely the group associated with what are called the Dead Sea Scrolls. So there's at least some thought. I think, I think four or five days out of the week, I buy this. A couple other days, I tend to be maybe a little skeptical. But there's some thought that John has some association with them. Uh, he may not have been a card-carrying member, but he was prob- potentially influenced by them. Because they also spoke or wrote very intensely. They were very interested in God coming to his people. Um, they, they gathered around what's known as the teacher of righteousness, and he was like ready for the big war, to cleanse Israel to solidify Israel and redraw her borders and give her this prominent place in the world, kick out the filthy, disgusting Gentile sinners, and so on and so forth. Um, They were very critical of the temple, and if you kind of listen to John in just the right way, you can hear some of that criticism too. Um, If John wasn't an Essene, and eh, I don't know, uh, there was a strain of thought that he was tapping into. But it seems like John took this idea of this, the, you know, immersing of, of mikvah or mikvot, if you want to go plural, and he added a few things to it. He picked the Jordan River, and that is not a coincidence because when was the last time that the Israelites or God's people crossed the Jordan River? Well, that would have been when they, were, when they were transitioning from the wilderness into the promised land. In fact, them crossing the Jordan River was a really big deal. It was God's people entering the land that God gave them, giving them their kingdom. And so John, it seems, is also tapping into this. Saying, come and be immersed. And if you were a Gentile, by the way, and converting to Judaism, one thing you would have to do is immerse. So maybe he's pulling in on that too. And, and, and so he, he picks the Jordan River, a site that everyone would know. And his encouragement, his <laughs> Consoling words, which not that comforting are essentially and you can hear this a little bit better in Luke "Hey, be Israel. You are God's chosen people. Act like it. Stop this flirting with with Gentile idols. Um, and actually in Luke, he says a lot, all of his teaching really has to do with economics. Stop ripping people off. This is not how the people of God act. But it seems to be this act of like uh, th- this renewal of get ready. Somebody's coming, but first, remember that you are God's people. Now, like I said, lots of rumors and stuff like that because they show up in other writings uh, outside of the Bible that, hey, John could actually be the one that we are waiting for. Which is a pretty obvious conclusion. People at this time were pretty hungry for God's hero, Messiah, to come. And uh, as far as we're aware, on either side of Jesus' life, there were about a dozen such movements. And so, when people start talking with John, where the rumors start flying around and they're saying, Is this the guy? John is presented with a choice. And even though he's John the Baptist, he's still human. I think there's a temptation there that we sometimes forget. Because we all want to be, in one way or another, the person. Or to put it another way, human nature leads us to believe or to act as though we are the main character, we are the person. And everything else revolves around us. And I think John would be presented with that temptation as well. So what does that look like for us? Silly example. We're driving and there's a little traffic. Now... For what it's worth, you people in Albuquerque, you don't know what traffic is, man. <laughs> well, you call traffic, I mean, the cars still move, <laughs> which is so cool, actually. But there's a slowdown, big slowdown. And eventually, you can figure out it's oh, it's because the right lane is closed. Maybe you know, 200 yards up ahead, but that's the lane that's moving. Oh, excuse me, I've got to get back over. (laughs) That's called cutting. (laughs) A little example, small example of, yeah, I'm going to inconvenience a whole bunch of people, but, but, but they'll be all right. I'm the main character in this story here. What happens when things don't go your way? What happens when, I don't know, the the waiter or waitress gets your order wrong, or somebody dings your car door, or some people that you know and love very well start making some decisions that you don't agree with? What happens when somebody is wrong, quote, about politics? There's a temptation there to impose what we think is right on everybody else. And I would submit to you today that it goes way, way back to deep into our heart because we want to be the, the main character. Plenty of this is relatively harmless, like our habits in traffic. Plenty of this also can destroy communities and relationships. This idea that I am special and I don't have to care quite as much about the needs or feelings of others so long as I am comfortable. There is a certain comfort that comes from being in charge. Now, if you find yourself... Saying, yeah, but I don't like to be in charge. I don't care if everybody else makes, their de- makes the decisions around me. Be warned. That person often yields the most power. The passive one is the one that makes everybody else choose. Silly example. Hey, let's go out to dinner. Okay, where do you want to go? I don't care, you choose. I just made them choose. It's the person saying no, the person who's going passive, who's just as uh, adept at trying to take charge of the situation. It's just a little harder to see. John is, in effect, presented with this possibility. Now, there are... uh, by by many accounts anyway, for a while, John is more popular than Jesus. And you even see in the book of Acts that John's disciples were spread out throughout the Mediterranean. He had an impact, which means all he had to do was say, you know what, I am he. Let's get this started. I know how things need to be run. And yet, he doesn't. In fact, in the book of John, he says, He, Jesus, must increase, while I must decrease. He understood that he is not the main character of this story. By the way, there is a... um, kind of a, a parable of sorts it found in some later Jewish writings. This, this does not come from the first century, where it, it was a meditation on creation, and it talked about God creating the sun and the moon. And In Genesis, he says, uh, it's the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. But you get a bunch of rabbis who have way too much time on their hands. They're going to tell stories. So they, they posited that originally there were two lights, and they were equal. And God gave one the day and one the night, but the moon insisted on being greater. It, it, it in some weird, you know, personal way, like wanted to be the, the brighter of the two, and it didn't understand its place. And so God said, no, because you don't understand what I'm doing here, you will be the lesser and the sun will be the greater, you must decrease, and the sun will increase. In other words, John perhaps understood his place, but he also understood the consequences of, of not knowing his place. And so when Jesus approaches to be baptized, John says, no, 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 no. "You should baptize me," meaning he obviously knows who Jesus is, and Jesus seems to associate with the John the Baptist movement for a little while. And then John baptizes Jesus. Jesus goes off into the wilderness which is weird, he's going through the Jordan River into the wilderness. And then he comes back and he gathers disciples. He gathers some of John's disciples. John doesn't 100% understand who Jesus really ultimately is, but he, he played his part. He prepared the way. And what it took was him knowing where he stood, that he is not the main character in this story, That all roads, in fact, lead to Jesus, whether you want them to or not. I would submit to you today that the same is true. We're in the season of Advent. It's a season of expectation and waiting. Just like John has come to prepare the way, get the people ready so that they can start hearing what Jesus is teaching and doing, we are preparing ourselves for, a couple of, uh, a, for in a couple of weeks, when we recognize that God wrote himself into our story, he sent his son, divinity taking on flesh, wearing sandals and walking around. And as that story plays out, we realize this is not just the story of a really good guy or an effective teacher or a guru or religious leader or or anything like that, but lo and behold, we finally have revealed the main character. As it turns out, this story, our story, your story, all the stories combined into one big complicated woven rug, all threads lead to this guy. The same guy will go to his grave through whom God will defeat death and begin new reality. And that reality continues today among his people where we gather. We recognize that we are not the main characters in our story, but Jesus is. All we're here to do is play our part. Amen. I invite you to rise as you are able.